Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast, along with Aaron Fitt and Clint Longenecker. I'm John Manuel. We've graduated, Clint, from college podcast fan to participant, so uh, welcome in for that, Clint. And uh, First and, time, long time, John. And Fitzy, it's also, that's right, first time, long time. And Fitzy, it's your last college podcast from the West Coast, correct? Yeah, it is. It's, this is the last one. This is uh, my, my final week, actually, here in, in uh, Laguna Beach. And then uh, make the long trek across country uh, coming in this weekend. So um, that is unbelievable. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to enjoy having you here in person, but I'm going to miss the uh, definitely going to miss waking you up on some of those Monday mornings when <laughs> I call you too early. That didn't happen too often, but there's some of those Monday mornings where I'd call you, and it would be too early. You'd be like, "Yeah, I'm ready to rank." <laughs> yeah, uh, you caught me mid mid toothbrushing a few times, I think, this year. I think that's probably true. Actually, I think that I think that's the one I remember the most. Um, but it's going to be a fun podcast today. We, we'll try to keep it uh, tighter. But a summer college league extravaganza, I think uh, no one is more happy. No one's more sad to leave Laguna than Aaron Fitt because no one ever leaves Laguna. You go to Laguna, you don't leave Laguna. But no one's happier about the end of summer college league list than Aaron, just because this is such a huge project, Aaron. And we'll just to tell, let people know what you did. You wrote and or edited 260 scouting reports, basically, at the end of, summer, the end of the summer of uh, end of the month of August and the first week of September. And uh, these are not players that there's a lot of information on. So you're a great first source for a lot of people's future draft coverage, um, and so, which, which I think people uh, in and out of the industry appreciate. But it's a gargantuan task that has mushroomed as summer college baseball has mushroomed. Yeah, it feels like there's more leagues every year, and I think we did uh, 22 lists this year. Um, and, you know, certainly tip of the cap, uh, to Clint here, I mean, really, really took on a, a large burden here doing, uh, doing, you know, what three, three of these leagues, four, I guess, with the the NYCBL top five in there. Um, you know, that Clint did a great job, and you know, we had all kinds of um, other, you know, former BA interns and present interns that, uh, that were all part of this team effort. But uh, yeah, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> it is a, it's a big team effort, and uh, yeah, obviously the standouts, the ones that get the most attention are the Cape Cod League and USA Baseball's college na- collegiate national team. Keep on clearing me up on this, Aaron. That's the collegiate national team. <laughs> so let's, um, let's start there. And I, I feel like we've talked a little bit about the collegiate national team. Um, obviously, Clint and I were able to bear down on those guys when they were here in Durham. It's not like you don't know those players, Aaron. But, but let's start in the Cape because the Cape Cod League is the, kind of the granddaddy of them all. And uh, it generally gets the best players. And it also seems like, Aaron, that this year, not only did it get the best players, but it got a lot of players. There were, this was not a big school-dominated Cape Cod League summer, whether it was the list or even just the top players in the Cape this summer in terms of the top performers. Uh, to, there were a lot of great players in the Cape who are going to be followed at non-traditional, non-power schools. I had a few scouts comment about that, about how a lot of the, the best guys this year are um, you know, mid-majors or, or, you know, I think somebody used the term off-brand kind of schools where, you know, you don't necessarily expect Evansville and, and Kennesaw State and Hartford um, in Cincinnati to be represented in, in the top ten in the Cape League and UNLV. I mean, that's, right. you know, those are five schools there that aren't usually, you know, thought of as, as traditional pace, baseball power. They're not. Um, they're not in the same class as, as, as you know UCLA and Virginia, um, you know Oregon State, Stanford, some of those teams that are that are also represented on this list. But um, it just shows, I think, 
something we've talked about in the past, but uh, it shows once again that you know the, the talent is more spread out now, and I, I think it's it's largely a function of of that new legislation that came in. Well, it's not even new right. anymore. The legislation that came in, you know, what five or six years years ago now where um, you've got roster caps and uh, you know 35-man rosters, 27 men on scholarships. Um, it, I think it forces the talent to, to disperse a little bit more, and uh, it's not a bad thing for college baseball. And Aaron, the other thing that kind of jumps out about this list is that there are actually some hitters, and that's a theme. I mean, uh, Clinton, you and I have talked about this summer. You know, it's hard to find hitters. You know, <laughs> Pro scouts want to find Hitters in this draft class, I think it's easier to find velocity, both on the high school side and there's definitely on the USA College National Team, it was easier to get excited about velocity and pitchers, especially their bullpen. And they, they dominated uh, Cuba with their velocity. That was the talk of that five-game series with the Cubans. Uh, was, that the, was that the talk in the Cape, or was there another theme? It seemed like they were a little bit more position player depth in the Cape. Um, what was, uh, so first, was there, was there better position player depth of the Cape than maybe uh, scouts uh, thought they'd see? And second of all, was there a similar velocity in the Cape that we saw with the college national team? I do think that scouts were pretty satisfied overall with the, the position player crop this year in the Cape. Um, you know, I thought, I thought, and, and scouts largely agreed with me when I, when I posed them this question, um, I thought that it was a pretty physical group. I mean, unusually physical even. You know, you had a lot of guys that uh, uh, had legitimate power potential here. And, and there were some guys even who had good summers and didn't quite make my top 30, um, you know, like Kevin Crone and, and Reese Hoskins, um, you know, from that loaded Falmouth team. I mean, those guys were, had, had the murderer's row over there. Um, but, uh, you know, this is this, that's something that, that really stood out to me. You don't always see, you know, these physically mature um, guys who can handle the wood bat and, you know, really project to hit for some power. Um, that, to me, was really one of the strengths of this class. I do think there was some velocity in this league that just you know didn't appear in the All-Star game. I mean, that was the, the All-Star game was kind of disappointing for scouts. Uh, but you had guys like Jeff Hoffman, um, you know, uh, Sean Newcomb, Kyle Funkhauser. Um, those, are, those are three guys in the top ten who did not appear in the All-Star game and all have power stuff. So there, there was some velocity to be found. Jordan Foley's kind of a neat little, um, I wouldn't call him a sleeper now, but a guy that kind of emerged this year as, as a power-armed um, you know, prospect that, that, that a lot of people have noticed in Central Michigan. Um, you know, a lot of these guys, the question is, are they starters, are they relievers? Um, you know, that, that's a, a pretty, pretty common question for, for power-armed guys. I mean, right. you've got to have a certain amount of polish and, and a certain kind of delivery. And, um, you know, I, I think some of the guys like Kyle Toomey, um, who, who have a, a little bit maybe less velocity but more polish, um, you know, better deliveries, those are the guys maybe you project as starters. I don't know if you have the, the, the kind of upper-end starters if you're projecting forward. You know, I, I think you have some, some high, uh, high-end bullpen arms, but they're not necessarily high-end starters yet, with the possible exception of Hoffman. I think it's always tough uh, to do that, to evaluate that in the Cape, Aaron, because you're never getting anybody really in – oh, I shouldn't say never. You're rarely getting a pitcher who's in midseason form. I always think back to Tim Lincecum in 2005, who was just utterly ridiculous in the Cape that summer as a closer. Forget which team he was on, but uh, he was a 48th-round pick that year of the Indians. It's one of those things where if you go back in time and you could – the Indians – if, if, if uh, you know, Mark Shapiro could go back in time once ever, I'm convinced he would go back in 2005, they'd give Tim Lincecum a couple extra $100,000, get him signed in the summer of 05, and then have him in the bullpen for their 07 team when they had 
you know, when they were one win away from being the Red Sox. And maybe if you win that pennant, then you don't have to trade Sabathia and Cliff Lee the next two years, and maybe the whole path of Cleveland sports history has changed. Clint, who's from Toledo, nods his head knowingly and goes, yeah, stop twisting the knife. But, <laughs> but I mean, but, but Lincecum did it that summer completely as a reliever. And he won two Cy Young Awards as a starter, won a couple of ERA titles and strikeout championships, and you know, led the Giants to a World Series in 2010 and won another one in 2012. Um, so, you know, when you evaluated him in the Cape that summer, he was a reliever. and He was a doggone good reliever. It's, just, it's very difficult because you're not seeing these guys. And that's the biggest difference. The, the obvious difference with summer college baseball is the wood. But the other big difference, guys, and Aaron and, and then Clint, you could jump in on this as well, is and it's the routine. The, the schedule is just so different for college baseball to summer college baseball. I mean, Aaron, I'm guessing, is it fair that you'd say for every college pitcher who goes to summer ball and maybe their velocity jumps, you get two or three guys whose velocity is down, or is that over? Is that exaggerating it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about the ratio. I mean, I, you know, I'd have to stop and, and look, look in a little more detail to see if that's the case. I mean, certainly you hear stories of guys who are up and stories of guys who are down. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. That's I think probably that's more fair. Way to put it. That's probably more fair to say. But it, it definitely seems like the guy. And then you know, the main thing is the guys who are your workhorse Friday and Saturday guys in the spring. Clint, those guys don't go to summer ball and load up on innings. They're done. A lot of them take the summer off. Or yeah. if they pitch for the USA team, they pitch like you know, Carlos Rodon had what 17 innings this summer yeah. for the USA team. I mean, that, that's that's about where their limit is. Gone are the days. Like I was telling Aaron on the phone a couple of weeks ago where Ricky Romero threw 155 innings for Fullerton in the spring in 2004 and then threw like 40 more for the college national team that summer. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. So, I mean, who was, who was your innings leader in the, uh, in the North Woods League, which plays with a longer schedule? Like you had to have somebody over 60, 70 innings, didn't you? Yeah, there was a few guys around 70. Yeah, just to speak to the overall point about the overall travel schedule there, when you have 70 games, these guys really are getting uh, – you know, a decent facility for a pro schedule because they have games on a day-in, day-out basis. And with the geographic footprint, with having 16 teams in the league, longer bus rides, this is uh, better than most leagues. This is preparing them for the rigors of pro ball so that it is not quite as abrupt when they get there the next year or the year following to, to professional baseball. That's always made me wonder, like, if I would want to play one of those bigger summer college leagues, whether it was the Northwoods or the Coastal Plain or, like, the Jayhawk, just geographically, I gotta imagine, Aaron. That's one of the advantages that Cape will always have is it's compact. Yeah, you're gonna play every day, but it's not like there's any downside to being in Cape Cod in the summer. And the travel's easy and good. <laughs> the travels, bus trips, and your big your big worry there is uh, is traffic, right? Yeah, as long as you can stay off the the, the Bourne and the Sagamore on a Friday afternoon, uh, <laughs> you're doing okay. Well, let's get to the Cape, the top of the Cape list for a little specificity. Jeff Hoffman, Aaron, entered the spring as a dude. I think he was number four on our top 50 sophomores list coming into the year. We knew this guy was a big velo guy. Um, he had a kind of an up-and-down spring. I remember talking to um, the coaching staff over at ECU for an April game when they came to Raleigh to play NC State. And uh, Billy Goodwin was talking about – I'm sorry, Billy Godwin was talking about you know, how the previous weekend had been Hoffman's best start. He was just starting to get going. And he really he did finish strong. It seemed like he carried some of that momentum into uh, the summer in the Cape. So the really, this was probably a guy where when you looked at the rosters coming into the summer, you might have picked him on your follow list as the presumptive number one, and then he kind of went out and did it. 
Yeah, exactly right. I mean, and it's it was clearly clearly the, the number one guy in the league. It was really not even close. Um, I think you know there was right after him. I mean, I think I had some decisions to make about who's number two. Um, you know, a number of guys in that discussion, but he was the only guy right. number one. Every everybody I talked to, every manager, every uh, every scout I talked to agreed. I mean, this was a slam dunk. This guy's the real deal. I mean, it was yeah, it was ninety four, ninety seven, and he was he was commanding it better than he did at times in the spring. Um, the curveball is special. I mean, it's you know it's a true downer. It kind of reminds me of um, you know it's like like when Strasburg's got his his curveball going and it's that true power kind of downer pitch. I don't know if he's still throwing throwing the same kind of breaking ball that he used to. Um, pretty good. But, you know, it, it, it's... We saw it up in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty good that day. Yeah. <laughs> Change up yeah, is I mean, better, but, man, the breaking ball is still pretty good. And maybe it's more of a, of a power slur for Strasburg. I don't know. But this guy's got a... It's a true 12 to 6, and it's, you know, it'll get up to 84, 85 miles an hour. I mean, it's it's a really good pitch. Uh, um, you know, it could be a plus-plus kind of, kind of a pitch for him. And, and then, you know, he's got a slider, too, and he's got... Uh, a changeup that could be average. I mean, there's everything you're looking for. He's got the he's got the body, uh, livery works. I mean, it's you know for me, I think he's right there. Um, Carlos Rodon is the number one prospect in this draft class, but I think Hoffman's got a strong case for number two. Yeah, the scouting director I talked to, uh, well, I talked to two, um, the, both those guys uh, and, and like four national cross checkers and <laughs> several other people for that USA national team list, but. Um, uh, the the when I just put it to these two scouting directors, is it close at the top? There, but no, no, it's there's Rodon, then there's Hoffman, and there's a lot of other people. But they really felt like it was pretty strong, and you know the cross checkers were the same, kind of in the same boat that Carlos was out on you know this island by himself, and then Jeff Hoffman's that clear number two guy. So again, here in North Carolina, probably good timing for a year. And uh, if you're going to leave Laguna, <laughs> come back when the yeah. top two college guys in the draft are both in this state. So we're going to be at Greenville and, and Raleigh a lot. And uh, you know, and Jeff Hoffman and, and, said that the main thing is, is that Hoffman, uh, to me, is that he got better as the year went on. I think that's a pretty important consideration. No question. It's yeah, actually, I mean, give, given his pedigree, which we've talked about, you know, look at his spring statistics, and he was only about a two-to-one strikeout uh, to right. walk ratio guy, only struck out about seven per nine. And, his numbers, you, you couldn't have asked for better numbers, and the scouting reports to back up those numbers so far this summer. That's always a good thing. It's always nice to pair the dominant uh, stuff, the reports on the great stuff, with the uh, with, with actual performance. Um, but Aaron, like you said, you had a really tough call, and I would say Ian Happ. For you, you had a tough call for the number two spot, and I would say that Ian Happ would never would not have been on anyone's prelim follow list at two coming into the right. to, to the summer in the Cape. Probably not even the Cincinnati coaching staff, the new coaching staff there at Cincinnati. Um, you know, what, what, what's, uh, what's the skinny on Ian Happ, and uh, is, does he vault to the top of or toward the top of the 2015 college draft class? Yeah, I think he's up there. I mean, to me, um, you know, it, it's, he, he's one of the most exciting things about the summer. And that's why I, I think these lists are, are really worthwhile to do is because you get that that breakout guy, you yeah. know, and, and there were a couple this summer for me. I mean, I thought Ian Happ, I thought Caleb Whalen uh, in the Cal Collegiate League, um, you know, at Portland, he's kind of a similar player, but I mean, um, Happ is, is a, you know, he's, he's compact, he's strong, he's um, a switch hitter who can handle the bat on both sides, he's got power, I think he's going to hit for average, uh, and he can really run. So, I mean, you know, he's almost like a uh, like an Anthony Rendon with, with better speed and athleticism. I mean, but he's that guy, if, if you really like him, and he's a switch hitter. 
Um, you know, so he's not that much like Anthony, Anthony Rendon, except for the bat ability. That, that's where I think I had somebody kind of compare him uh, to Rendon as, as an offensive kind of player. And also the, uh, the physical, you know, the size is similar, right? I mean, they're yes. both, they're, they're, these are not, they're not unimposing, but they're not like guys where you, they're not like Ryan Zimmerman big. They're compact, six foot 190, fairly average builds, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. And so it's really the, the hand strength and just the, um, you know, the hitting, you know, bat the ball instincts. And, and that, that's what makes these guys stand out. But I mean, I, I think Hap sounds very exciting. And I'm, I'm curious for, for you guys, you know, if, if in the course of this, um, anyone really jump out to you as kind of that real breakout guy this summer? Well, you know, Eric Fetty, for me, um, you know, when he reported the USA team, I had not heard of him previously. Of course, I looked in our notes and saw that you'd written about him uh, when UNLV was like a shrieking blog or something like that. So um, naturally, we had stuff on him. But you know, to me, it was the guys like him, Kyle Freeland, Sean Newcomb, um, those pitchers who popped into the Cape Top Ten list who really broke out for me. But but Fetty just being a guy who, you know, I think everybody in college baseball knows who Luke Weaver is. Not everybody know, knew who Eric Fetty is, and they're very similar pitchers. You know, some scouts I talked to this summer liked Fetty better, some liked Weaver better. I went with Fetty on the USA list ahead of Weaver because he's a little bit more physical. He's taller, more traditional physical uh, size. But, I mean, you could, you know, I'm sure that on 30 draft boards, these guys are going to be very different at this point, and, you know, they've got a whole spring ahead of them as well, fall ball and a spring to, to really for that to shake out. But, Fetty was maybe the bigger, one of the bigger breakout guys for me this summer, but I like some of the other names that you mentioned, um, and especially the guy from the Cal Collegiate League, uh, Caleb Whalen. Uh, that, that was an exciting guy to read about. Just Again, the, the, especially for me, the position players are the guys that I'm most interested in because finding college position players, it's just harder than finding college arms. Just you know, Those guys develop uh, less frequently in the college level than, than the pitchers do, or the pitchers are guys where – this, the pro, often if, the pro, if they don't sign with a pro team, it's because there wasn't enough now stuff, but there was projection and the teams couldn't buy out the, you know, couldn't buy out the college for, for a guy who was throwing in the upper 80s, the high school senior. It's a little bit harder to do um, than with the speed guys. or you know, That's why Trey Turner always stood out so much in college. You still see Aaron guys with that kind of speed uh, get to school. Um, who, who was a jump-out guy for you, Clint? And uh, Aaron, if, there, um, if you had others, you know, chime in after Clint. Maybe it's just my Ohio roots coming through, but Robert Weinmiller. Case Western Case Reserve. Case Western Reserve. Absolutely. Yeah. Very neat story. Uh, he's from Ohio, and he got a lot of Division One offers, but he decided to go to Case as a strong academic and the opportunity to, to catch and occasionally pitch. But uh, the team was ravaged by catching, catching injuries, so he only got a chance to throw about three innings throughout his first two years in school. And so uh, he wasn't really a prospect as a catcher, but this summer – uh, heading into his junior year, he got a chance to step on the mound. He only threw about seven or eight innings, um, and he hasn't thrown on a consistent basis since his freshman year of high school, but he steps onto the mound, and with ease, he's 91 to 94, touch 95, and he had one of the best breaking balls in the league, um, a pitch that actually flash, flash, a, a slider that pla- flashes plus. Um, he's so, yeah, I, I, out, of, out of nowhere, um, he, he's a guy who really just creates a lot of excitement, and uh, he's, got a, he's got a strong physical athletic build, uh, around six foot two. But, yeah, he, he's a guy, if, if you weren't staying on top of the college list, you wouldn't know, but he's a guy that everybody in the Ohio region is going to have to stop in and see. Yeah, and, and, and Aaron, another, another guy I meant to ask you about in the Cape list, because he was also in the summer in the, in the USA list, was Bradley Zimmer. I mean, he's just fascinating. First of all, going to school this fall with his brother uh, back at San Francisco, Kyle Zimmer done with his pro season. 
uh, a little bit early, had an uh, arm issue and didn't require surgery. They just wanted him to rest. So I think he was going to go back to school anyway, but he went back a little bit earlier. So Kyle and Bradley Zimmer are on campus at USF this fall. And you know, Bradley Zimmer is not going to go as high as Kyle Zimmer, but you can have two brothers as first-round picks, it looks like. But the impression of people for Bradley Zimmer in the Cape obviously was pretty strong because with the USA team, it was strong, but it was a little bit mixed in terms of people really wondering how much power there was going to be. You know, I got a lot of critique of his swing plane being really flat and does he have the ability to make adjustments, that kind of thing. But, seems like, but his athleticism seems like it really jumped out in the Cape. Yeah, and those are all legit criticisms of this guy. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's not a slam dunk. Um, you know, I, I think if you compare him versus Derek Fisher, who's right behind him uh, on this list at four and five in, in the Cape, um, you know, Fisher's a safer bat to hit uh, and hit for power. I think Fisher's going to be an impact guy. Um, I just like Zimmer's upside a little more, and I like his all-around tool set a little more. You know, I think there's, there's more athleticism, there's more uh, arm strength, certainly, um, you know, better defense. Um, you know, so I, you could take your pick with those two guys. I kind of went back and forth on how I, how I ranked, ranked them because there's a lot to be said for, for a guy that, you know, everyone believes in the bat with Fisher. You know, I mean, people really like the swing. He can hit. Um, but, you know, Zimmer, the athleticism is, is really exciting. And, you know, I remember this guy out of high school, too, and people yep. were intrigued by him, and there was a lot of projection. And, you know, he still hasn't put it all together with the power. And, you know, you've you got to project. Um, because, you know, but, but, but you'll see flashes of it. And, you know, I saw him a little bit this spring and, you know, I saw him put a charge into, into some balls. And, you know, uh, I think one, one ball at San Diego, I believe he hit off the, the wall and, and, and left uh, right center that really kind of struck out to me and turned on a good fastball. I think, um, yeah. You know, th- this guy, the, the, the bat speed is there. And, and you know, I think um, if he's a guy that I think could have a big spring, John, if the power comes um, a little earlier maybe than, than some people think it will. Um, I could see him jumping up and being drafted as high as his brother was. I mean, you know, because every tool is there. It's just the power. If the power is there, there, you're right. Because if the, if the power shows up, he's a profile right fielder, and, with, yeah. and he looks the part. And he's got a brother who's headed to the big leagues. Uh, I know we had a scout tell us this, <laughs> this week that he thought that Kyle Zimmer was the best pitching prospect he'd seen in the minor leagues this year. And that's saying something because there were some pretty interesting pitching prospects in the minor leagues this summer. But, you know, that, that, would, be, that would be a jump up if, the, if he makes the adjustment it just shows a little bit of that loft ability. I know, to, to paraphrase Nathan Rohde, he hit a bomb this summer with the USA team. I believe it was in Wilmington where he hit a bomb. So um, it had to be said twice. Um, it was crushed. <laughs> exactly. But uh, now this won't make Trump happy, but UVA ties. You said Derek Fisher. UVA ties with Texas A&M for the most players on these summer college league lists, Aaron. And – you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, and that's not even with Brandon Downs' personal cheese ball. Brandon Downs not even making the list, which I'm just crushed by. Um, <laughs> we did, we actually have a Twitter question about it from Holmes with Heart. Um, I guess he's a uh, well, he follows us on Twitter. How do the position players stack up? He wants to know, which we kind of just jumped on, but what round do we see Brandon Cogswell going in? Uh, he asked uh, via Twitter, and Brandon Cogswell uh, did not have the best summer by shortstop on the University of Virginia program, that would be John LaPriest at Virginia, in the, who was in the Northwood League Top Ten, who yeah. we saw in the North Carolina-Virginia series, which the Cavaliers, I believe, won on the road, despite the fact that Cogswell was out with that broken finger. Um, and LaPriest really struggled a little bit in that series defensively, especially his arm strength wasn't there, and he was a little bit 
the bat looked a little bit, there wasn't enough oomph behind the bat. There wasn't enough strength. But talk a little bit, Aaron, about Virginia's strong summer. I think we already were going to have them ranking pretty high next spring anyway. That was a very freshman and sophomore laden team in the spring of 2013. But um, who were the guys that were, you know, were their top summer performers? And how does uh, history tell us that augurs for their spring in 2014? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, they had, what did we, where did they end up with? Six guys on these lists, I think. Yep. Um, you know, and, and keep in mind, I'm going to throw this out there first of all. Um, you know, this is this is not supposed to be some kind of a scientific, right. statistical, uh, precise thing. I mean, a lot of the best players take summers off, yep. you know, especially on the mound. Um, you know, and not all leagues are created equal. I mean, there's you know, we rank 30 guys in the Cape. Um, but, you know, probably the next 30 guys in the Cape are better than the top 10 guys in a lot of other leagues. Right. Um, there's, there's no probably about it. Great point. So, you know, it, Brandon Cogswell would have been number one in a lot of these other leagues. Yeah. So, you know, make, just making the Cape League it means more. Uh, but that said, you know, there, there has been, there's been a little bit of a connection in recent years um, between, you know, teams that had the most guys on these lists and, and, and success the following year. And obviously the, the most um, – you know, recent example is last year UCLA tied with Texas A&M for the most players on our list, and UCLA won the national championship. Um, a couple of years before that, I think uh, Texas and LSU actually tied for right. most players on the list, and then they met in the national championship series the, fo- the following year. Um, Arkansas, two, uh, last year I think had the most, or two years ago had the most players on the list. And they were, you know, in the final, the final four, and one of the last four teams standing in Omaha. So. There, there is a connection. So Virginia this year ties with Texas A&M again for the most, uh, the most players on these lists. I would expect the Aggies um, to be another team that, that has a, a pretty good season next year. Um, you know, I, I like Virginia's talent a little bit more, but um, you know, the, the Aggies had a bunch of players on that, uh, I think, the Texas yep. Collegiate League list. Three in the um, I think they had, that's it. You know, and, and those guys are, are, are interesting guys. Um, you know, we had a couple of Aggies in the Cal Collegiate League, as usual, who I thought were pretty interesting. Um, you know, so that's uh, that should be a pretty good club next year. Um, and obviously, Virginia is going to be loaded. I think they're a strong candidate for preseason number one, but certainly uh, in the top five somewhere. Yeah, Virginia um, would have been in that preseason top five pretty much no matter what they did this summer because of what they had, what we knew they had coming back. But it definitely gives, seems like it gives them a little bit more positive momentum. You know, not that preseason rank, rankings matter that much, and in college baseball, they really don't matter much at all. But um, it, it's, a, it's something that gets fans talking for sure, and I think coaches would rather be ranked high in the preseason than not ranked. They don't want to be one, but they want to be ranked high. Uh, they want respect. So uh, <laughs> not as much as their fans want it, but they, they, they do want to be ranked high. Um, anything else on the Cape? Is that the other thing that jumps out to me about the Cape is the, is the bloodlines. There are a lot of interesting bloodlines there. Lucas Chiraldi uh, jumped out mm-hmm. to me. Uh, Casey Gillespie uh, with his brother in the big leagues right now. Um, Drew Jackson. What's that? Drew Jackson is another one. Yeah, it's funny because Drew Jackson's brother was on it five years ago. He was on the five years ago list. Yeah. So he got right. he got one of the uh, he got one of the asterisks. The two guys who got drafted by the Twins, Brad Stillings and Ben Tootle, not so much. Twins fans looking at that five uh, that five years ago list. That's a still a pretty good list. Being Grant Green, Dustin Ackley, Matt Harvey, Tootle, Brandon Workman, DJ LeMahieu, AJ Pollock, Brett Jackson, Jeff Inman, Brad Stillings. Uh, none of the position players on that missed, uh, at least as far as being big leaguers. And I think we're still waiting for Grant Green. Grant Green's still thinking that summer of 2008 was that was the greatest summer of his life. So, yeah, I mean, ne- ne- ne'er to be repeated by by Grant Green, at least so far. Um, 
Aaron, and my USA College national team list, anything jump out to you from afar when uh, uh, when I submitted that list to you? Besides maybe Riley uh, Riley Farrell uh, kind of being the jump up guy from a thirty plus inning yeah. setup guy in the spring for a TCU team that didn't even make regionals to just being this lights out uh, reliever this summer who you know to me uh, he's not he's not at Alex Bregman's level, but he's toward the top of that 2015 college class? Riley Farrell is a guy that Jim Schlossnagel was so excited about last summer. Yeah. Uh, when, when, he, when he got through the draft and came to school, uh, him and Alex Young were the two guys that, that, that Coach Schlossnagel was really talking about. Um, you know, he, he thought those guys were going to be stars. And, and Farrell, um, you know, he, he got rave reviews in, pre, in his brief stint in the Cal Collegiate League this summer also, by the way. He would have ranked right. number one on that list if he had a few more innings. Uh, it's a big power arm, and it's a loose body and projection, and he's already got present velocity. I mean, it's, it's just just really an exciting talent. Um, yeah, he, he, he certainly jumped out on that list. Um, you know, I, it was, I thought it was a strong USA team, honestly. I thought, I I thought it was deep. I thought it had impact at the top. I love the debate, you know, who do you take, Bregman or Turner? Uh, that's, you know, that, that's going to be a fun debate. You know, not that they're in the same draft class, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of, a, kind of a neat discussion you and I had when you yep. were trying to line those guys up. Yep. And, I, and I, like, I like that you went with Bregman. I just think that the, the bat is a little safer. Um, you know, Turner obviously has, has got some, <laughs> some explosive tools, but, um, you know, I, I think Bregman's just a pretty special player. They both are. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with that decision. But it, I thought it was a good list. I really did. And, and uh, I, thought, I thought you lined them up pretty, pretty well. I thought I would have done it about the same way. Great job, boss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Finnegan was the toughest guy to rank and Tyler Beattie because Brandon Finnegan sounds awfully good. The delivery is a little bit, I don't know if I'd say unique. It's not a textbook starter delivery. It's not a textbook starter's body. But when you throw in a breaking ball that, you know, the slider that he basically picked up from Carlos Rodon uh, and practiced in one bullpen and then exploded on the scene with in, in Omaha. And you're talking about a guy who had three-plus pitches. And, um, you know, left-handers don't have to be 6'5", 220. They can be different. In fact, we, we, we encourage left-handed, left-handers to be different. So um, it's very, very difficult. He was a tough guy to rank. And then, you know, the other guy, Clint, that uh, – we have a tough time lining up this spring is going to be Tyler Beatty. He's going to be the most scrutinized guy, and uh, for a good reason because while he had while he was SEC Pitcher of the Year this year, which was still vexes me that he was SEC Pitcher of the Year when he walked more than he gave up hits. He gave up so few hits, and um, you know now he's not going to be one of many on that. The Vanderbilt team is still going to be very deep. They're not going to be as deep as they were in 2013. Um, Although I know Aaron's wanting to ch- you're champing at the bit, Aaron, to tell me they are going to be as deep. I know they're going to be very good, but it's going to be hard for them to be as good as they were in the spring. And Beatty's yeah. going to have to be that leader, that guy out front. And for lack of a better word, he had a brutal summer. I mean, he- no, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say there's there's going to be as good as they were last year. I think they're okay. I think they're good. I think they're still still going to be a top five team potentially. But um, no, I mean they they had a lot of losses, and he's got to now be the guy on that staff. I mean. You know, Kevin Zomek's not there anymore. Um, you know, he's he's got to be the leader, and and he's he's got the makeup to do that. He's just gotta he's just gotta throw more strikes. And you know, if we say that, and he was one of the three finalists for the Golden Spikes Award this year, so I mean, there's you know, right. there's a lot to like about this guy. It's just uh, I think he's such a competitor that when he walks guys and there are guys on base, he just he's good at getting out of it. 
Um, and he's, his stuff is so good that he's just so hard to hit. Um, but that said, for him to really become an elite prospect, he's got to throw more strikes. Um, he just has to. Yep, no doubt. And the other, the other kind of X factor, I think, in that top ten is Matt Chapman. Just because is he a profile third baseman, in which case he could be in the first half of the first round because those guys are, you know, coveted. Or is he a closer like Michael Lorenzen, who finished this year in double A with the Reds? Um, they're both good options, um, but usually you have to pick one. They usually don't let you do both in pro ball. <laughs> um, Aaron, which side of that fence are you on with Matt Chapman? Well, you know, he's pitched so sparingly that uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I believe in him as a position player. Um, you know, I know there are questions about the bat a little bit. You know, he didn't have a great summer offensively. And, um, you know, I understand, again, it's not a slam dunk with him. The swing mechanics maybe aren't the prettiest. But uh, I think he's got field to hit. I think the ball comes off his bat, um, you know, with authority. I think there's real power in there, and I think he can really defend. I mean, I, hey, you got a guy who's in the dirt already and got a chance to be a profile third baseman. I know he can throw 99, but I leave him I leave him at third base. He can really defend. He's fun to watch defend. Uh, he's fun to watch throw. It's not quite Anderson Simmons' arm, but it's at the college level, it's Anderson Simmons' arm. <laughs> it's very accurate. The throws have a lot of carry. Um, he's very fun to watch throw, but it also makes you imagine, and when you hear scouts talk about, and the thing is you talk to the USA coaches about how easily the ball came out of his hand and how he had some feel for spin as well. Um, in his brief outings in the summer, but even in bullpens, there's a he shows feel for spin. Uh, it would not be a shock to anybody if he came out as a pitcher and had two plus pitches and rocketed to the big leagues. But it would seem like a shame yeah. to just throw him into a setup role. Maybe once out of every three years, he's a closer, uh, like most big league relievers are these days. When you can find that guy, you know, it's harder to find that position player, like you said, who can stay in the dirt. So. I, I get it. I get how the big league game is played, but um, I'd rather give that kind of guy a chance to chance to hit. Um, let's move on to the Northwoods League. Clint, you worked a lot on the Northwoods League, and uh, obviously we're up to top 25 guys. We went a little bit deeper in the Northwoods League than we have in past years. Um, but this is a it, it's a deep league. It's a big league with 16 teams, and as usual, the top prospects in this league are usually freshmen, rising sophomores. And the plan, usually you play your freshman summer in the Northwoods League, and then the next summer you either play in the Cape or the USA team. Um, is that where we can look for Colin Pochet and Eric Hanhold and yeah, Alex Young, these guys next year? You look at the top ten, yeah, five of those guys are sophomores. And, and sophomores are littered throughout the list. These are really the guys that have the high upside. And Colin Pochet tops the list. Uh, he was an unsigned fifth-round pick of the Orioles uh, right. in the 2012 draft. Yeah, this his stuff might not be quite as loud as some of the other guys further down the list, but what really is the separator for him is his present field of pitch. He's got a smooth delivery. He can throw strikes all day. So the scouts, uh, you know, when they go to these leagues and they see guys who are trying to rear back in the one inning sense, and you see a guy like Colin Poche who's able to paint, he locates, he commands, he really stands out in that regard. And the stuff, I mean, he's got, you know, an average to take better fastball and, and feel for, uh, for multiple off-speed offerings. could be average or better. Aaron, it just seems like Arkansas has had, maybe not in the last couple of years, but they just have consistently had uh, quality left-handed aces. Uh, I'm just thinking of Drew Smiley, certainly a guy who's another big leaguer at Dallas Keuchel, and Nick Schmidt, who's the highest drafted player of all these, but I don't believe has been a big leaguer, had the Tommy John surgery and some complications. But it seems like Colin Poche could be the next in that line. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's 
like Clinton was just talking about, there's a lot to be excited about with him. And, you know, they've still got uh, Jalen Beeks, is another very interesting lefty who I think was in the, up in the Cape this summer. Um, didn't get a whole lot of consideration for this list. He was more ordinary in the Cape. But uh, that's another another power arm lefty. And you know, I'm excited. Arkansas is going to be an interesting team to watch last year. I'm excited to see, you know, if, if – uh, Chris Oliver can take a leap forward. I mean, I saw that guy briefly, um, you know, th- this year at uh, uh, that LSU series, right. and you know, it was it was 94, 97, maybe 98, you know, with a really power breaking ball. And I'm thinking this guy could be the next big thing. Um, you know, now he's got more opportunity on that staff. There's more innings to go around, um, and you know, their team is is fascinating. I mean, you yep. know, Brian Anderson yep. in, the, in the in the in the Cape this summer, um, you know, was a guy that people really liked, even though the numbers weren't there. I mean, there are a few guys in that list where the, the production didn't match the potential. And, and you know, there's some guys uh, in the Cape, like, like you mentioned earlier, Brandon Downs, who didn't hit, and I still like him as a prospect anyway, but he didn't get any support from anyone I talked to in, in the Cape. You know, none of the scouts were on him, really, and they just, you know, he just, he just didn't stand out to people. Uh, Anderson didn't put up good numbers, and he did stand out. I mean, because, you know, his tools are, are pretty loud. Um, you know, Joe Serrano, I think, uh, was on one of these lists, wasn't he? You're just rubbing, uh, it. You're just rubbing it in, <laughs> Nobody likes oh, you your guys, Manny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I st- no, but that's it. I, I'm with you, John. I, I still believe in Brandon Downs. I think he's got a chance. Um, you believe in him more than I do. Uh, I think there are questions with the bat, but there he's are. certainly an exciting talent. Yeah, he's 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 fun to watch, but there definitely there's a lot of swing and miss there. It doesn't sound like he closed up his holes this summer. That's the problem. Brian Anderson is very intriguing, especially if it just seems like that's a guy. We're kind of jumping a little bit back to the Cape here, but just to keep on the Arkansas tip. He just seems like a guy who should stay in the infield. And Joe Serrano, like you said, is a guy who seems like you look at him, and we all saw him in Omaha in 2012, uh, you know, kind of as the igniter in this, of the, that team's late surge that got them to the College World Series, really ignited them offensively. Uh, he was an infielder in high school in Arizona. Seems like he, he looks like he should be a second baseman, at least a college second baseman. Um, right. And Anderson should be a college third baseman. It feels like anyway, maybe a different voice in the year. You know, Todd Butler is now the head coach of Wichita State. Sometimes it just takes a different voice in your ear as a player to make things click. Maybe that makes uh, helps those guys click uh, this year for Arkansas. Um, that, that just was a fascinating list, Clint, because it, it seemed like the correct me if I'm wrong. The Northwoods League had some real physicality to some of these guys. Maybe I'm just projecting Taylor Cherry's physicality and spreading <laughs> it amongst all the other players. He has physicality to spare, but was there some physicality here? Michael Suki is it Suki? Yeah, physical power guy. Paul Bunyan comp. Yeah. And yeah, the, the big, the big scruffy. Got to know your audience, yeah, Midwest, Minnesota audience, uh, Upper Midwest, the Old Northwest audience. You get Paul Bunyan comps. <laughs> I like it. Who, who else had that that kind of physicality in that league? Uh, Tyler Epler, who's a who's a right-hander. He's going to be a, a junior at uh, Sam Houston State. We actually had a, um, a coach say that he was just a little slimmer version of Steven Strasburg. Hmm. Take a little bit of uh, a shoulder width away from Steven Strasburg, and he has that same power. Um, physicality, and, uh, and you look at pictures, and it's really not far off, and Adam Dyan is really another, he's a junior uh, from Temple, a right-hander, he's another big physical guy, and you know, there were some hitters who, who could definitely uh, pack some punch as well, uh, Mark Flores, uh, he's actually going to be a senior, he's passed over in the draft last year, but he led the league uh, in home runs and had a great statistical season, he's got big time power, uh, some scouts threw raw, raw power grades at 65 and 70, uh, on his power, struggled to struggled to feel for it, but he's another guy uh, with just big, loud tools. Aaron, was I, I want to chime in here, John. I want to chime in. I mean, I, um, 
you mentioned Suki. That, that's one of the guys in this list that's outside the top ten that I'm very intrigued by. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had a pretty good spring. It's starting to come for this guy. Um, you know, I don't think there's you – know, this is a guy that could, I think, jump up the drafts. If he, has, if he has another good year, I mean, he had a good summer for the second year in a row in the Northwoods. He can clearly hit with wood. Yep. Huge power potential. Um, you know, he's still got to put it all together offensively, but, but it's coming. Um, he's, he's interesting. And also, that Florida Gulf Coast team had, what, seven players drafted this year? Yeah, by, by yeah. far the most of, of any team in Florida, which, which is absolutely amazing. As many as the U yeah. uh, and, and Florida, Florida combined. combined. And so this was is that right? So the point is that scouts saw a lot of Michael Suki last spring. They they he's already he even though the area guys in Florida don't see him in the summer in the Northwoods League, they saw him all spring last year. They're going to see him all fall. He's he's already going to come into the year high on lists. Again, kind of like a, a Hunter Renfro who maybe I have performed his first two years at Mississippi State, but people came in to see him. Yeah. People knew who he was. He's not the same kind of players we're in for. I'm not trying to say that because we all know Hunter is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> but, but Suki's going to come in high. So just what you said, Aaron, to me, if he comes out of the gates next year, just balls of fire and is hitting and hitting for power early in the year when there are a lot of scouts and a lot of directors in Florida anyway, he's going to go from a – third to fifth or a six to ten type guy right into the first two rounds. I agree with you. I, I, I like where he listed here this summer because there are some limitations with him, but he's a guy where if he comes out and hits for power instantly, he's going to jump way up boards. I think, you're, I think you're exactly right. He's very intriguing from that standpoint. And I'm intrigued by Chesney Young as well because, again, it's a, so there's a pure bat, it sounds like. Where does he fit in? You know, usually with a guy like that, you, they wind up, you wind up saying, ah, second base, knock it down, <laughs> throw it to first. But he may, maybe he has a chance to be better than that, Clint. Maybe he has a chance to be a third baseman. He could. He, he would be an atypical profile over there at third. But because he's able to offer all those secondary skills, yeah. uh, he, he could profile there. And he's a guy, he actually had three times as many walks as strikeouts this year. And he has great to-bat-to-ball abilities. He led the NTAA in hits this year. He was a conference player of the year. Uh, he's really an interesting guy, and he's a very good athlete. Uh, scouts and, and coach like said that as far as just lateral quickness and agility and just short area movement skills. He might have been one of the top players in the league, so the arm might profile best at second base, but he, he, he could fit there long term because of what he, uh, what, he also, what he can also provide. We've got to find out, Aaron, when's the last big leaguer named Chesney? <laughs> he'd, be breaking, hmm. he'd be breaking some serious taboos, I think, to be named Chesney and make it to the major leagues. But um, More power to Chesney Young for, for the summer that he had in Waterloo. Uh, Aaron, well, I, well, I, I can't by the way, I can't find a Chesney in baseball reference database, so there you go. <laughs> That's definitive, so Chesney's going to have to try to be the first guy. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, Clint, you also did the Alaska League and the Far West League, um, and Aaron, you did the, the California Collegiate League. One of the things that's really impressed me the last couple, the last five, six, seven years, again, I'm old, so Aaron, I was going to say, <laughs> you're, you feel old when people are comping amateur players of Strasburg. That has to make you feel just a touch old, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit, sure. Yeah, so so, but, but but for me, when I started, the only league in the West Coast basically was the Alaska League. There was like a San Diego Collegiate League. There were smaller leagues, but the big league, if you were a Pac-12, or back then Pac-10, I'm not old enough for it to have been the Pac-8, but uh, if you're if uh, if you're of a certain age, you're you, you and you're a coach, you sent your players to the Alaska League. Now there's so many good leagues out west, and it just feels like. It's another sign of the strength of West Coast baseball. They can fill all these summer college leagues. Am I, am I crazy, Aaron, or are there more really good summer leagues in the West Coast than there ever used to be? 
No, I think you're right. I mean, I've I've been saying for several years now, um, and you know you know this because you did the calculator league yeah. before I did. That's but, a good league. Um, that, that's a good league, and and it's getting better. You know, it used to be kind of Santa Barbara, yep. you know, and St. Louis Obispo, and then everybody else, and it still is. You know, those are the teams. Those are those are your anchor franchises in that league. Um, but you know, there's it's getting more competitive. I think you know the top prospect in that league was not from either one of those teams this year. Um, they always get their arms out there. You know, especially Santa Barbara and, and, and San Luis Obispo. Um, you know, they they those guys have pipelines to Texas and Texas A&M and Sam Houston State and you know some of those kind of places. And um, you know, they do a good job. Yep. So that's why they get those arms. And and you know, the West Coast League to me, I think is is another one that you know they've got. Every year, since they've got some guys like UCLA guys or Oregon, Oregon State guys. Yep. A lot of a lot of Pac-12 players now. Um, it seems like go to that league rather than the Alaska. Um, you know, it, it feels like more um, more West Coast guys go there, whereas you. you in that Calcalasia League, you'll see guys, like I said, from Texas or Rice or, you know, those kind of other places that, that wind up in that league. So um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Alaska is still – actually, I, I kind of like the Alaska League list this year. Um, you know, I thought it was a pretty solid list. But certainly there's a lot more competition for Alaska than there, than there has been in, in past years. You're right about that. That, that. that is really what sticks out. The Alaska League, kind of to its credit, has remained a, a, a vital, uh, you know, a solid league when it has a ton more competitors. I mean, the Cape has more competition, obviously, because there's so many more leagues. But it's still the Cape. It has a unique history and compact travel, like we've talked about, that makes it unique. And that, you know, it's going to have Peter Gamers are going to come see you play. You know, these kind of things. It's had a movie made about it that other leagues can't compete with, uh, even if the movie's bad. But the Alaska League doesn't have some of the advantages of the Cape, and it's so remote, and it has so much more competition. So I'm I'm impressed that the Alaska League is still kicking. Maybe I'm maybe I'm giving being too easy on the on the Alaska League, but it, it just feels like a, a less well done league would have fallen apart a long time ago. And uh, AJ Simcox, Clint, the uh, pretty strong number one, and Christian Stewart. You know, if you're a Tennessee fan, you're reeling from the spring. You're reeling from Oregon just putting the smack down on your football team. You're grasping for something here. Give give Tennessee Volunteers fans, which I, I thought, by the way, Aaron, I wanted to see. Did you notice that Dave Serrano running a little smack early in the on Twitter on the Oregon-Tennessee game, on the football game, no. and then fell silent? That was a little grudge match, ex-Fullerton coach bowl. It wasn't very fair to Dave Serrano, but uh, George Horton's uh, Oregon Ducks did to them on the football field. Did you see that final score? No, I did not. Believe it, believe it was 59 to seven. Yeah, 450 yards of passing for Mariota. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad for the Vols. So, so well, Clint, to throw him a bone. To offer some hope uh, yeah. to, the, to the Tennessee fans. Um, in, in my mind, uh, and we discussed some of the some of the teams that really had great summers. Uh, Tennessee was up there with every one of them because they had that such strong freshman class uh, last summer and. Look at the top two guys in this list with Simcox and Stewart, but you could also throw in Vincent Jackson, the athletic outfielder. They have really have a strong uh, nucleus there with with the position players. And, um, Trey and Owen beyond the California League, right, Aaron? Their Tennessee yeah, we sophomore. had uh, Drake, Drake Owen be the left-hander um, in the Cal Collegiate League. People like that guy. You know, it's it's, it's not somebody that uh, has you know the, the present overpowering stuff, uh, the velocity. Maybe he'll touch some low 90s, but. The breaking ball is, is pretty special with that guy, and he's got fuel to pitch, and he's a bulldog. Yeah, that, that's another guy that stood out this summer. But but back to the Alaska League, I agree. I mean, I think 
Simcox and Stewart both sounded very fascinating. Uh, and I've always liked those guys, but Clint sounds like they really they really took steps forward this summer. Yeah, no question. I mean, from the coach's perspective, it was pretty much unanimous. Everybody thought that Simcox was by far the best pure hitter. Everybody thought that Stewart was by far the best power hitter. And uh, Simcox was number one just because he's, he's going to have the ability to stay up the middle when people think that Stewart is probably a left fielder, but he's going to have the ability to mash up there. The, the numbers, the offensive numbers were down across the board drastically. There was actually a third of the home runs hit in that league, but he was the league leader in every single offensive category. Uh, but, but Simcox really is interesting. Uh, the coach uh, who was up there said that he had uh, Hunter Dozier at the same age, and he said that A.J. ran circles around him defensively hmm. and offensively. And you look at their body types, they're not too dissimilar, both tall, 6'3", 6'4", but uh, Simcox, good, good defender, pure, simple swing, baseball aptitude. Uh, he's really an exciting guy. Yeah, where was Vincent Jackson this summer? He was in the Northwoods League. He was in the Northwoods League. Absolutely. Did he make your 25? Or did he, 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 was, he was just a cut short. That's, a, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting group of sophomores, and they certainly took their lumps last year in the SEC, and it's not easy to get out of that bottom part of the SEC, and the league didn't get any easier. It got harder with Scott Strickland coming to Georgia. You know, all due respect to Dave Perno, you know, Scott Strickland took Kent State to Omaha. If he can take Kent State to Omaha, I think we think he can take Georgia to Omaha. So Georgia's going to be better. Um, that league, Aaron, just, I mean, it's just not for the weak at heart. Uh, yeah. You know, Dave Serrano's in his third season. Feels like he needs to start seeing some wins and losses improvement. And it feels like there's there's a foundation of players there uh, for them to build yes. around. Uh, yeah, and you know, and let's not forget, um, you know, his son now, one of the better prospects, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in the freshman class this year. I mean, that guy is going to be, I think, a stud from the get-go. Um, so, you know, I I think this is this Tennessee team could sneak up on people this year. I kind of I'm kind of bullish on these guys, John. I think they got a chance. I think you just brought up a huge reason why they've got a chance. Kyle Serrano is legit can't remember talking to any scout last spring who didn't like him. I mean, guys consistently seeing that guy from you know, 92 to 95 with a hammer breaking ball. I mean, it's compact frame. I mean, there's not a lot of – there's now stuff. Uh, there's field of pitch, pitching coach for a dad who's now the head coach who had the one thing he didn't show a lot of in high school was a changeup. What, what does Dave Serrano do? He teaches changeups probably as well as anybody. So, Kyle Serrano should be very good. It'll be tough to throw a freshman out there as your Friday guy, but or who knows? Maybe they'll throw him out there as their Sunday guy, like they did last year with Zach Godley. But um, uh, there are signs of hope for Tennessee. So I know Volunteers fans have had it tough in multiple sports over the last few years, um, from the uh, on the field to obviously Pat Summit. I mean, Tennessee needs some good news. Hope to have some good news in spring of 2014. Um, Fitzy, I'm, I'm jumping around here a little bit and. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask two two things uh, that I can bring Clinton on. One is just how much easier it is to evaluate summer college leagues when the ball isn't crazy. Last summer was mm-hmm. the summer of the crazy ball of the of the happy fun ball. Don't taunt happy fun ball. You know, do you guys remember that <laughs> Saturday Night Live skit? Have you guys seen that on YouTube? You whippersnappers. Nope. Oh, I don't know, John. Aaron, have you not? <laughs> uh, it kind of rings a bell, but I don't know. <laughs> I need to do this podcast with J.J. Cooper and us oldsters. Um, this might be from the it might be from the Will Lingo era of, of Saturday Night Live. Um, it was a it was a like it was a, a happy fun ball. Google it. Um, but the, the ball was very springy and lively in 2012. It feels like Aaron. It was easier to evaluate this summer. 
mean, you didn't have guys just putting up crazy home run numbers. Am I am I crazy, or is it, yeah. was it easier for you and for the scouts and the summer college managers and coaches you talked to to evaluate these players without the ball being goofy? Oh, yeah, it was a relief for everybody to get back to normal. You know, last year just – hey, the ball became the story last yep. year. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. And, um, you know, I, I think obviously um, – you know, I, I support college baseball going to a minor league ball, um, you know, which is more lively than the college ball. But whatever they were using last summer was something else. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> that thing was crazy. Uh, Clint, I think, had some numbers about how much offense is back down to normal and how out of whack it was last year. It was out of whack. Just look yeah, at no, your no spreadsheet, Clint. It was out of whack. Yeah, you look at the Cape, and in 2011 and 2010, the two years prior to last year, you're looking at about 160 home runs, which is pr- pretty much exactly where it was at this year. Uh, 2012, we're looking at 380 home runs. So we're talking about a 240% increase. As I mentioned earlier, in the Alaskan League, we're, we are talking about triple the amount of home runs <laughs> that year as opposed to years past. So, yeah, the coaches that we spoke to uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, that that really was the story last year in talking to those guys. I really, I really shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh, but I'm, I'm laughing. Those are, those are comic. Those are just Nintendo numbers. <laughs> and then, Aaron, yeah. there are two guys who were high draft out of high school. Single-digit draft picks who showed up on these summer college top ten lists that really intrigued me. Um, and one of them was a guy from, uh, again, Clint Wenda was an associate scout for a couple of years, the last two years, in the state of Florida. So Tyler Palmer, you probably didn't run into Tyler Palmer because he wasn't in Florida, but he was number one on our Florida Summer Collegiate League or Collegiate Summer League list. Um, he's at Seminole State as a third-year sophomore. Um, he was the number one prospect in that league. And then Connor Barron, a uh, past cheese ball of mine from the loaded 2011. Was it the 2011 high school class in the state of Mississippi, Aaron? I guess it was. I think, I think that's right. Mason yep. Robbins and uh, Houghton Buchanan and all those guys. Senquez uh, Golson. Who's that? Senquez Golson. Senquez Golson, that's right. <laughs> and there was another pitcher. Who's, oh, it was an eighth-round pick. I forget, but, but Connor Barron. Uh, I really like Connor Barron. Unsigned third-rounder of the Marlins that year. Number three prospect in the Texas Collegiate League. Aaron, first of all, how good are Logan Taylor and Parker Ray? They were better prospects than Connor Barron. It just sounds like Connor Barron finally starting to get his feet under him in college. Mm. Still not a position necessarily that he's locked into, but there's some offensive upside there. Yeah, there is some upside. And, you know, I, I don't think he – there were still criticisms of him this summer. I, I don't feel like he, it's really all come together yet. Um, you know, I might have been a little aggressive actually moving him up in the course of editing from where he was on that list um, because, you know, I still believe in the guy. And, and if, you, if you read about him, I mean, the tools are, are still there. But once upon a time, we thought this guy had a chance to be, you know, to be a profile shortstop. Right. And that's not just not the case anymore. I mean, he's not going to be a shortstop, um, I don't think. I mean, you know, the footwork, the fundamentals, the whole thing, it's it just it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen um you know he'll probably have to be third base or second or you know in the outfield um you know he's got a lot of work to do with the defense uh you know the the bat there's some power there um the approach i think needs needs improvement still i mean um the swing can get long i i, I just you know it's still a lot i want to see from this guy and, and you know he's kind of still coasting in my mind off his reputation uh, I want to see production. Uh, he's been, to me, one of the most disappointing players the last two years. Aaron? You know, I, I thought he was my preseason pick for, I think, freshman of the year, I, I want to say, two years ago. I mean, it, it's just, it he needs to, you know, what did you say, John, a, a third-round pick third round out of pick. high school? He was an unsigned I mean, third-rounder. I believe he and Palmer were back-to-back unsigned third-round picks. They're both Marlins. 
Uh, yeah. One was a third-round pick. One was a fourth. If, I don't think they were in the same draft. I, I could be wrong. But maybe, you know, somebody – of course, I have the Baseball America all-time draft database here at my fingertips. I don't know why I'm asking these rhetorical questions. It's 2013. There are no rhetorical questions. But, yeah, I mean, Aaron, what you're describing is what scouts always talk about. That's why I wrote that column about the draft and Mississippi. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the, 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 the long-time – uh, evaluator told me, I'll, I'll use the word evaluator, in the state of Mississippi, some of these kids don't pick up their bat bag after they're 10 years old. And if you're going to be quote-unquote famous uh, in that state, you're going to think that you're, uh, that nothing, they were back-to-back picks. 2011, yeah. the unsigned third and fourth round by the Marlins. And Connor Barron just, he, he sounds like, um, there's a lot of similarities to me to him and Jacoby Jones, but Jacoby Jones at least performed at LSU, but where yeah. they were big deals out of high school and didn't get a ton better in college and never lived up to that high school hype and where you're a small-town hero, and that happens a lot in the most rural state in the country, uh, Mississippi. And, again, like I wrote in that column, I had the scout quote, Give me the guy from the small, small town, the country, the really rural, not from the small kind of suburb, famous kid. And the other part of that really is the sociological aspect of it. Give me the guy who had to struggle over the guy who had everything handed to him. And I don't know Connor Barron's circumstances, but he certainly fits into what scouts have said a lot about why the track record for high school players out of the state of Mississippi is so poor. Uh, it's just poor. And, uh, Looking at Billy Hamilton to the big leagues this year, trying to break that stereotype, um, doing it somewhat as a pinch runner, but let's see him take a bat and play every day. And I, I want to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I continue to be fascinated by uh, the state of Mississippi. It just, uh, from a baseball standpoint, it's fascinating. But Tyler Palmer is a little bit more, even a, a more unusual story, Aaron. I mean, this is a guy who's taken a very long road to getting back on the field in college baseball. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and and you know it's still <laughs> still not there. I don't think he's still got feeling back in his in his fingers all the way. Right. I mean, it's um, you know, it, it's it, it's coming. It's great to see what he did this year. I can't believe what he did in in that league, uh, considering you know <laughs> where he was a couple of years ago, where people thought he might not ever play baseball again. Um, you know, it was a really touch and go. The nerve damage that he had in his hand after, um, you know, his hand went through a, a, a sheet of glass, I think, and kind of a freak accident. And, you know, like you said, he was a, a what, fourth round pick yep. and he was going to go to Georgia and wind up not, not being able to go to Georgia because of the injury. And he's kind of rebuilding his, his stock. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, hard to know what, what scouts are going to make of that guy. I mean, you know, you talk about being scared off of a medical how about a guy that you know is, is, is still trying to, to regain full feeling in his fingers? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's he's clearly got physical abilities. You know, he's, he's he can do a lot of things. Um, great. It sounds like a great you know a great makeup. I mean, the guy has really worked hard to get back to where he is. But fascinating guy to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, that uh, the Marlins draft from 2011 is uh, just fascinating. These are two of the highest unsigned players from that whole draft class who went to college, and. Both of them have just taken these very difficult roads. Nothing has gone according to plan for either one of those guys. So, uh, you know, kind of see how how the things transpire for them. Aaron, was there another list that uh, kind of jumped out to you uh, before uh, we exit by talking about just the overall kind of college class and how things are shaking, shaping up? Uh, certainly I thought the NECBL, you know, 
pretty strong as usual. I yep. mean, I, I, I think he had a couple of very intriguing lefties there with Nathan Kirby and Scott Squire, power guys that have a chance to be, you know, real good picks uh, in the next two drafts here. Um, you know, and, and, and Brett Lillick is another lefty on that list at Arizona State who's got quality stuff. Steven Rice at Vanderbilt is, you know, a senior, a smaller guy, didn't have the ceiling of those other guys, but four lefties on that list that are, that are pretty good. And Brett Graves um, there, and I thought Brett Graves, how about the guy who, we, we did a feature on him this summer, I almost thought that yeah. would be a guy who would just almost automatically be in the top two or three of a league, and he, I know he's a smallish guy, but smallish guy, quick arm. If Missouri's going to swim and not sink in that, as a member of the Southeastern Conference, it would sure help if Brett Graves was pretty high draft uh, potential out of high school. I think he wound up being like a 28th-round pick. Um, if that guy comes to one his potential, that would certainly help uh, the Tigers in the spring. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great call. I mean, they need – you know, that Missouri, I think – um, when they had that run where they where they were in regionals every year, um, well for what seven years in a row, something like that. Spring, I mean, yep. you know, they were able to develop talent, and you have to at Missouri because you know it's it's the weather can be a little dicey in that part of the country, and you're getting some upper Midwest guys, and you've got to people got to get better there. And and you know, to Tim Jameson's credit and his coaching staff's credit, players often have gotten better there. Uh, but like you said, the stakes are raised in this league. It's so difficult to compete. In this SEC, and now and you talked about Strickland joining the league. Now we got Sonny Galloway at Auburn. Oh yeah, I and mean, you know every every school is, is it's you know every week is just it's crazy. I mean you know Tennessee with Serrano. I mean there's just there's there's no school that you look at and say well this guy should be a pushover. Um, it, it's it's gonna be an uphill battle for Missouri, and you're absolutely right. Graves is one of those guys. Um, you know they need him to to take a leap forward. Um, and this summer was encouraging. Aaron, I got a couple of Twitter questions, and we'll wrap up. Alex Sandoval asks, uh, who do we see being a signability issue that could fall to the competitive balance or second round in 2014? I guess my real, the only reason I ask that is uh, we don't usually see this with college guys. It's pretty impossible to check out, to, to think who would be the signability guys. But who was somebody, Aaron, maybe who, who turned down as a junior? Who were who some of the top returning seniors, um, whether they were summer college league prospects or other guys? Um, just some top returning seniors to the college hmm. ranks in twenty uh, in twenty fourteen. I know you had Drew Van Orden on here for Duke, uh, who had a nice yeah. summer in the uh, California Collegiate League. Were there any Were there any seniors out there? Whether they're rising seniors in the Cape, for example, or uh, or some of the other other summer college leagues who jump out to you? Ross just Kivett, looking at the yeah, Ross Kivett is a is a great one. Uh, that's a great college on. That's a guy who I think really helped this stock this summer, and you know. Um, uh, I really think he's going to hit, you know, and scouts think he's going to hit. It, the bat is, is, is good. He's got strength. He's going to hit for more power than he had so far in college. I think there's, there is strength in there. Um, you know, the defense, he probably won't be exceptional, uh, but should be good enough. Um, that's a guy that could really boost his stock. People thought he would, people were kind of surprised he didn't go higher as it was. He had a great year. I think he was a big 12 player of the year um, at Kansas state and uh, great player. Um, Kivett certainly comes to mind. You know, you mentioned Van Orden. I think he's intriguing. I think Jack Fisher, Wake Forest, couple of couple of arms there. They both have good stuff and size. Um, you know, didn't have great junior years, so they didn't get you know they didn't get drafted real well. But um, they had good summers, and the the ingredients are there for both of those guys. And sticking in the same state, um, you know, John Tuttle at Catawba. You know, a smaller school oh, yeah. guy, number one prospect for us in the Coastal Plain League. Um, you know, interesting guy to keep an eye on. How about T.J. Pecoraro at Vanderbilt? 
Um, a guy that has not really been able to stay healthy over the course of his career, but when he's been healthy, he's shown pretty good stuff. He's not a big body, um, but you know, an interesting, an interesting guy that uh, uh, has feel the pitch, has a good breaking ball, has a changeup, and you know, and, and a pretty good fastball. I mean, it's not an elite fastball, but it's good enough. He was the guy who um, kind of like led them back in that comeback season in 2012, where they started off so poorly, and then kind of right. came back. I mean, he was the guy who I mean, he was their Friday starter on the stretch of that year. Yeah, you're right. He was he was really the you're absolutely right. He came back from Tommy John, I think. Uh, yeah. His first season back from Tommy John. Yeah. And, and, after he like came nine back months, than expected. He was very yeah. quickly back to. Uh, he came back very very quickly from Tommy John surgery. Um, it feels like there's a couple other guys out there like Aaron. Like, um, I'm just going through like unsigned draft guys. Uh, I wasn't sure if Daniel Ponce de Leon popped up anywhere this summer, but uh, fun name to talk about. I always love talking about Daniel Ponce de Leon for some somehow. He's the second college baseball player. I've been at BA so long, and he's the second Ponce de Leon. And I think the other guy's name was Damon as well at Seton Hall. Um, it's a small world. Um, but, like, James Ferris back for Arizona. Um, I wasn't sure if there were any other you know, guys from Omaha, for example, who were uh, drafted lower than maybe we thought and, and wound up back uh, for their senior seasons. But those, I think you named some pretty, some pretty good names. And Ross Kivett being the guy who probably did the most for himself – uh, going back, uh, going going to the Cape. I'm looking like Mark Payton is back at, for Texas as a senior. Yeah. Yep. Not exactly like he was, like he was ever a, a big prospect. And um, then the other, you know, the other question is a good entrance into a, a way, uh, gets us into the question that we probably should should wrap up with, which is, do we think do we feel like this this college class is uh, do we feel better about this year's college class than we felt about it at the end of last summer, Aaron? I mean that. So I feel like it's always natural to compare one class to the other. I feel like you have to feel better about this class than last year just because Carlos Rodon is in it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, you know, Rodon and Hoffman um, is kind of your, your top two guys, um, you know, compared with like, a, let's say, this, at this stage last year, we didn't have Jonathan Gray, first of all, as an elite guy. Right, we I didn't mean, know. He was, you know, he was an arm strength guy, but he wasn't, you know, a candidate to be the number, number one or two pick at that point. I mean, it was a pal. And, and, you know, and kind of everybody else uh, from, a, from a pitching standpoint. So the fact that I think we've got two guys in this draft right now um, that are legit top of the, the draft arms uh, with Radon and, and, and uh, Hoffman um, right there, you know, that's a great start. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think I do like this class better. I think, you know, you've got, you got some up-the-middle guys and some um, – that, that's the other difference to me. Last year's class, the, the strength of the position players was it was corner bats, and there was a real, real lack of, of middle infield, you know, shortstops in particular. I mean, I can't, I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a class that week at shortstop, at right. least on the college side. My Brandon goodness. Brandon Trinquan, right? Wasn't he our preseason All-American? Uh, he, he was he was a preseason All-American. I don't, I don't think he was, I think Turner was first team. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, and he was, you know, he, we're trying to come up with the best tools for shortstop in the preseason, and it, there wasn't anybody. Um, you know, I think I think we ended up going with Trinquan for best defensive shortstop, and he's kind of an average defender and profiles at second base. Yeah. Um, so you know, the fact that we've got Trey Turner in this class, you know, that's another another separator. Yep. I mean, you look at the the top of the the USA list and the top of the Cape list. Um, and you know, a few guys that didn't even play this summer. I think we got a pretty good core. I I do like this class better than last year's class. Yeah, I definitely like the velocity. We haven't even mentioned Nick Birdie, probably the hard, hardest yep. thrower in the college class. He pitched, made two outings for the college national team, decided it was a no-go, as they, uh, as George Clooney says repeatedly in the, what's that movie, Intolerable Cruelty. The movie I quote, that and Idiocracy, yeah. probably the two movies I quote the most that no one's seen. 
I don't understand how no one's seen Intolerable Cruelty. It's it's Coen Brothers. It's Clooney. It's Catherine Zeta-Jones. It's got it all. It's got Wheezy, it Wheezy Joe. It's got a great cameo by uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I mean, uh, who, who, who was a Texas A&M Aggie in that movie. So if you're an A&M fan, you just got to watch that. Just in and of itself, he's an alumni, alumnus who played uh, football uh, back before the Johnny Football days. So, I mean, it's, it's worth your while. It's worth the two hours. Here's your John Manuel tangent of the day. I like it. That's, that's a good, that's I mean, a good flick. I, I like. I'm with you on that movie. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I know no one's no one's quite there with me on on uh, Idiocracy, but uh, oh, not classic. Not to the extent that I'm I'm there for. So, but uh, but yeah, that that is a classic. That's one of the reasons that Clint got hired here. He likes, <laughs> he likes Idiocracy, but um, it does feel like it feels like it's a good college class. Um, not a great college class, but I feel like it's better. I mean, even Aaron, this time last summer, Chris Bryant was coming off a summer where he just swung and missed a ton. People were still – I mean, yeah, there were big questions. And so the top, the top three guys in the draft class wound up obviously being Appel, Gray, and Bryant, and they wound up going Appel, Bryant, Gray in the draft. I think on our top 100 it was Gray, Appel, Bryant. But two of those three guys were not in the mix to go at the top at this time last year. So um, – you know, some things could definitely change. Tyler Beatty could go right up to the front. I mean, would it shock any of us if Tyler Beatty had a great spring and wound up even going number two, even even number one? I mean, he was an unsigned right. first-round pick in high school. I would still right. think it would be hard for him to surpass um, Carlos Rodon, but it wouldn't completely blow me out of the water if he did. Would it blow you out of the water if he did, Aaron? I mean, he is Tyler Beatty. No, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, there's not a, you know – Hey, the, the stuff is elite. I mean, it's just the command has got to come, and he's, he's he's gotten results in college. It's not like you're, you know, it's not like Jason Nabergall. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he was a top three finalist for the Golden Spikes Award. Um, you know, you know, absolutely, that's a guy that could go number one. And there are some other guys that could jump up. I'm not saying to number one, but um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier Sean Newcomb. That's a guy that yep. people in the Northeast are are so fascinated by, and, and scouts and cross checkers, um, because it's a six what six five six six left hander who's physical and throws. 95, 96, I mean, you might, I don't know, you might see a 97 from the guy. Um, you know, this summer was weird for him because he had mono, and so you know, people who saw him early got a real good look, and then you saw him late, and it was much more inconsistent. Um, but, you know, it, the, the ingredients are there. The track record isn't there. I mean, it's, you know, if you look at his numbers in college, it's kind of, eh, you know, he's at Hartford, and this is, this is what he's doing. Um, but, you know, those guys don't grow on trees. You know, so there are guys like like that. I feel like they're, they're kind of lying in the weeds. And you know, every year, they're they're you know, I think Lucas Giraldi's fascinating. You mentioned him too, John. Yeah. Um, circling back to this cape list, but you know, Lucas Giraldi, that's a guy that I think could really leap up. And and you know, because he's got projection, he's got great size with a six foot six, and um, it comes out easy. I think his I think his mechanics are better than Newcomb's. Uh, and I think his feel for his secondary stuff is better. I mean, and that's a guy. And he's right-handed, so he's not, you know, he doesn't have that going for him. But um, the bloodline's obviously, and, you know, he can go to Texas and, and really make a name for himself even more than he already has. I think that's a guy that could leap up high pretty good. He's got a long way to go to uh, make up for his, for his old man's 1986 World Series antics in some people's eyes. Not going to name names, but <laughs> for some people, he's got a long way to redeem that name. Uh, I'll, but I will say this. Uh, you may remember this era that Calvin Chiraldi, Lucas's dad, had a boffo 1988 uh, season for me oh, in my retro sake. fantasy league. 
or he was like a number four starter on a playoff team for me. So actually, I kind of I always forget that that in fantasy world, in my retro league, that Calvin Chiraldi was uh, outstanding. He really outpitched his card that year for me in uh, Diamond Mine League. So there's a little there's a little there's a small well of good feeling there for that last name. But uh, 86 World Series, I just watched that a couple I of those to, highlights with my blame- this weekend. I prefer to blame Clemens for 86. I think I think somehow he, he feels responsible. I, I, I'm sure there's a way we can make that happen. Well, they both went to Texas, so I guess Lucas uh, Chiraldi had to go to Texas. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, about Texas's uh, team when you get here in person, Aaron. And the next college podcast will come to you in person here in the podcast nook at uh, Baseball America Worldwide Headquarters. Clint, how different would it feel to, to listen to it as it was happening as opposed to while you were sequestering yourself in an in a <laughs> office Writing up uh, 60 summer college league scouting reports, or however many you wrote up. A little different experience being on the on the front end, wasn't it? It's a lot of fun. All right, good stuff, Aaron. Great stuff for you, and uh, drive safely next week. And uh, we look forward to having you back in uh, in North Cacolac. The white potatoes. The first <laughs> order of white potatoes will be on me. I look forward to it, Johnny. All right, Vitzy. For Aaron Fit and Clint Longenecker, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.